Hello, and welcome to the Wild Heart Meditation Center podcast. We release these episodes every week on Wednesday mornings, and the best way to support us is by clicking subscribe and taking a moment to rate the podcast wherever you are listening. If you'd like to support our efforts to keep the nonprofit Meditation Center open in Nashville, you can donate via Venmo by sending your donation to at Wild Heart Nashville, or you can make a donation through our website, wildheartmeditationcenter.org, by clicking the Donate tab. Peace and love. Hope you enjoy. So a few years ago, I was on a retreat with Joseph Goldstein. It was my first time sitting with him. And I'm a big Joey G fan since the beginning of my uh, Dharma days. I've listened to his Dharma talks. And if you've listened to Joseph Goldstein offer Dharma before, you'll know that it's very clear and very concise Dharma. Not a lot of frills. And so I was really excited. I'd gotten lotteried into this retreat. I didn't anticipate that I was going to be able to go. And they told me that I could go, I think, just a week or two before the retreat started. And, um, and so I went. And I really was inspired to be as diligent as I could with the meditation practice. And the first day, we did the first foundation, just like we did here. There is a body there's breath and I intentionally wanted to try to practice as much as I could and as continuously as I could throughout the whole retreat it was a really wonderful retreat experience you know there were the ups and downs like we all experience in life Um, but a really beautiful experience my first time sitting at IMS proper uh, Insight Meditation Society and so you know, naturally the last final day, like the full silent day uh, before we went home, my mind started kind of getting involved in some of the, you know, and this was talked about this morning, very relatable, all of the things back home, you know, that was on my list. And I call this the subtle craving, you know, the kind of mind that's scheming and planning and manipulating and, um, and I saw this a little bit, but I, you know, I said, I've been working hard all week and I'm about to go home and it's okay to kind of let up a little bit on the, the practice. And so naturally I started to experience first a little bit of spaciousness and letting up, you know, less of a anchor on the breath in every moment or the feet in every moment. And actually a a little bit more opportunity to just investigate things as they were. I I would just say a little bit less struggle. But what had happened is I had also kind of given up on the retreat as a whole. I had kind of lost my curiosity, my mindfulness. I started letting myself, you know, Right, and I had texted, you know, my wife that night and talked about, you know, some of the food that we wanted to get when I got back home. I kind of lost my curiosity. So naturally, the mind got a little bit restless. The mud started to kick up in the mind. But I figured I could tolerate it for a day because I was going to go home. And I did, and it was pretty tolerable, you know. It's not like... I'm not used to dealing with a stressful, busy mind. And so I tolerated it for a day. And the next morning I went to the morning instructions and sat. And uh, 
on my way to go pack, I stopped by the cork board to look at the closing, you know, schedule, and I realized that at that point that it was an eight-day and not a seven-day retreat. <laughs> and so I just wasn't thinking about the length of the retreat. I thought it's a seven-day week-long retreat. It was an eight-day week-long retreat. So I had that whole rest of the day to be mindful. <laughs> but I learned something um, that day, both that felt skillful and something that felt unskillful. And I wanted to share this with you and offer this as a general basis of our instruction as we move forward with our practice. For me, that previous day, the day I thought was the last final day, I had softened my concentration practice a little bit. You know, the breath and the body, they're always going to be a loving home that we can return back to. And I started uh, allowing my awareness to open a little bit more. I call this lingering in the experience that is lingering in the experience that is. And so the thing I learned is that I had also kind of just mentally given up on the retreat, so I lost my mindfulness and my curiosity. And I actually noticed this, that this has been a habit of mine at retreats. You know, watching kind of how quickly I'm like, oh, that was great, I'm done, and here I go, right, back into the world. And so, one of the things that, um, you know, Mikey had said this morning in the retreat instructions is that when the mind wanders, we can notice a thought as a thought and we can take a moment to actually linger in the thinking experience and to become curious. It feels very counterintuitive because as concentration practitioners, we want to notice the thought and come back to the breath. But we can take a moment to linger, as Mikey said, in the thinking experience and then become curious about the mind state. Oh, this thought that's happening right now, is there any craving, wanting, anticipation, longing, fantasizing? Is there any aversion or not wanting, resisting, tensing in the mind? Mikey said the mindfulness, the word for mindfulness in Pali Sanskrit is sati, which means to remember. And there's a different style of practicing mindfulness that's not so much a different practice as it is a different way to accentuate the same practice, which is that we can simply remember to maintain an attitude of curiosity about what's happening in every moment. We can continue to be diligent in our practice, but we can release some of the effort of continuing to connect with the breath. So this is open to our exploration. The next question usually is, well, how much breath and how much observing in this open space of awareness? And the good news is, is that we have both. We have the breath as a loving home base, it's always available. We have the contact points of the body that we can always return back to. 
So for the afternoon instructions, we're going to continue to build the practice on the foundations that we've established. And we can start to see, as I did, that you can trust that the cultivation that you've been doing will actually show up for you now. So the first day retreat instructions were attending to the breath and the body, collecting the attention into the body and the breath. And then we started yesterday this process of investigation, really what mindfulness is focused on, which is when the attention wanders, we can take a moment to linger in the experience and notice the pleasant, unpleasant, neutral impression, whether it's a thought or a sound, a feeling in the body. This was the practice yesterday. And today we've continued with this practice. You'll see it's not a new practice. It's just uh, expansion of the basis of the practice we've already established. When the attention wanders today, we can simply note thought. And instead of immediately returning to the breath, we can linger in the thought and notice the subtle quality of the mind state. Mikey mentioned uh, the story of Mara. I see you, Mara. I see you. In the Buddhist teaching, the goal, if you will, dare I say that there's a goal, (laughs) is really to develop equanimity. It's the theme of this retreat, peace within the wild heart. And when we see our thoughts and investigate the mind states, wanting, not wanting, craving, aversion, we see Mara in a non-judgmental, kind and patient way. I want to make a shirt with a picture of Mara on it that says, I'm in a toxic relationship. (laughs) Being kind and gentle with this bully of a mind sometimes, right? But Mikey said that there's this relational quality. You know, this relational quality of not just seeing Mara, but feeling Mara knowing Mara, and when it's unpleasant, caring for Mara. Karuna, compassion, being the movement of the heart in response to pain, unpleasantness that arises. And the Buddha figured this out through his own effort, his own happenstance of stumbling along his path, sitting down and realizing that you can't outsmart suffering. (coughs) You can't get the mind to stop with our awareness. This is the trick I keep playing with myself over and over again on retreat, which is if I'm compassionate enough, then will it go away? And so the only thing we can do is be with it, feel it, know it, and care for it. And so today we're learning another trick. 
It's the same trick, but in a different direction. Just like peace arises out of a compassionate relationship to pain, peace also arises when we have a non-attached appreciation towards joy, towards pleasure. Pleasurable sights and smells and tastes and feelings and thoughts. The Buddha calls this mudita, or appreciative joy. Now you'll notice if you come on retreat with us, or if you have attended our heart practice courses and things at Wild Heart, I'm always the person that teaches mudita. <laughs> and the reason is, is because I suck at it. <laughs> if you look at the Buddha's teachings, it can kind of seem like a bummer. You know, Buddhism, the first noble truth, in life there is suffering. We have to sit and open in compassion to all of the pain that we experience in life. It's no wonder that we're sitting in a church right now and not a Buddhist temple. The PR for Buddhism is pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> I always joke that the Buddhist evangelist would become knocking at your door at dinner time and saying, excuse me, ma'am, sir, excuse me, friend, have you heard the bad news? <laughs> Life is suffering. <laughs> and for me, as I said last night, I can appreciate the Buddha's emphasis on the difficulties. David Bowie says, it ain't easy, it ain't easy. You know, because that was very normalizing for me during a time in my life where what was really going on when I had said last night that I was unhappy is it wasn't just that I was unhappy, it's that I felt like I should be happy. And when I heard the Buddha's teaching on the first noble truth and said, yeah, life is hard like this, I realized that there was nothing wrong with me. It was this kind of voice of compassion saying, I get it, dude, it's hard. And the truth of dukkha also helps us to focus on our ultimate concern, as Gil Fransdale calls it, the ultimate concern. Right? That, as the Buddha said, that there's this arrow embedded in the heart, that there's actually causes and conditions to suffering. And it is that the mind creates suffering in this second arrow of reactivity, of wanting things to be other than the way that they are. And as Ajahn Chah says, if we don't know suffering, we can't know the cause of suffering. And if we don't know the cause of suffering, then we can't know its end. But as we know, the mind is a slippery little devil sometimes. And if we're not careful, we can unskillfully dwell in the suffering which isn't really concerned with our liberation, but usually shows up more as this formidable opponent that the Buddha battled in Mara, this form of skeptical doubt. The skepticism, this distrust, this kind of doubt that is almost more of an indifference or an apathy or a giving up. It's like, you know, having a friend that's a Buddhist can sometimes maybe feel like, well, nothing lasts, don't get attached. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And we can forget some of the time, I think I can forget that the third noble truth is the destination. It was the first line in the sentence of the description of the retreat. Something along the lines of when we start down this path, we go with one destination in mind, awakening, freedom. Freedom is possible. For me, this practice of joy is really something that I started looking for in my life recently. And it came about for me after my daughter was born. Now, don't get me wrong. I've had joy in my life at other points. (laughs) But there's something about having a kid or even being in the presence of children. You know, it doesn't matter if you have your own, quote unquote. (laughs) But being around kids that will teach you about joy. It's kind of something they require. Probably a few months ago, I was driving in the car. I actually, I'm a visual memory person. So I remember I was on 14th Street right by the corner market there. And I was driving down the road and I caught a glimpse of my daughter in the back seat in the rearview mirror. And she looked so happy. And I said, what you thinking about, babe? How's it going? And she said, oh, Papa, I'm so excited. And that genuine expression of joy is something that it brought tears to my eye. Because as a parent, you want nothing more in the world than to see your kid happy. Nothing more. And it's forced myself to really look at myself. You know, I'm a Buddhist teacher and I'm a therapist and it's just so serious a lot of the time. And when I get on retreat, it's like, as much as I don't like to admit it and it's embarrassing, the more I just try to concentrate and focus and be present, I've noticed the more my mind just gets dark. Not all the time, but it it can if we're not careful, if we're not trying to open up to some of the joy. And of course, in neuroscience, they say, you know, we have this negativity bias. There's a a researcher named Rick Schwartz that found that it takes about two and a half hours of cultivating positive emotions to every one hour of negative emotions to reach a mental stasis or a point of emotional regulation. So it takes more than twice as long when focused on something joyful or skillful or wholesome as it does when experiencing some type of afflictive emotion. I think even around pleasure, we can experience reactivity. I think we can experience just as much reactivity around pleasure as we do around pain. Because the It's an overused word. I'm a trauma therapist, y'all. But the trauma of pleasant experience is loss. Is heartbreak. It's the loss of relationships, the loss of communities when we've moved. The loss of friends as we grow older, as people change, as life shows up. But we also experience loss in momentary ways. 
saying goodbye after a fun night. You know, sometimes during the pandemic, I found myself staying up way too late and sleeping in and getting in this habit of kind of, you know, not wanting to put down the book I was reading and because I had this alone time to myself and I didn't want to lose it. Cherishing this alone time. So oftentimes we find that around pleasure, we cling to pleasure, but out of fear, out of not wanting to let it go. It's not always just this addictive sense pleasure that we're craving and clinging. It's also experiences and moments. So today we will have an opportunity this afternoon to actually include both opening to the unpleasant and the painful lingering in these moments, whether it's in the body, whether it's in the mind, whether it's in the emotional experience of pain, feeling, knowing, and caring for any pain that we experience. And also including and perhaps even looking for some of the experiences of joy or of gratitude or even the pleasant sights and smells and tastes and feelings. Remember the Buddha said that we shouldn't be afraid of pleasure, of desire. It's tanha, it's the clinging we've got to be careful about. So we can practice non-attached appreciation by feeling and knowing and appreciating the pleasure. And we'll do a practice together if you want to take a couple moments to stretch. some time to find your seat. And if it's okay, going ahead and gently allowing the eyes to close. by taking a couple deep breaths in and out. its own natural rhythm. 
Letting the body breathe all by itself. So we're breathing in and breathing out, pouring the awareness down through the body. And starting at the top of the head. Breathing in, calming the mind. Breathing out, softening the forehead. And relaxing the eyes, the nose cheeks and the jaw. And scanning the awareness down through the shoulders. Really taking your time, noticing what it feels like in the core of the body. It's inviting the body to soften. down through the hips and the legs, seeing if you can notice an awareness that feels lower to the ground than the head. As this body breathes in and breathes out, feeling into the felt sense of the entire body sitting. I feel you. Feeling the body and knowing the body, noticing any of the unpleasant sensations. It's not even calling them pain, just noticing unpleasantness. I feel you. And I know you, unpleasantness in the body. Becoming close and intimate with the unpleasantness in the body. I feel you. I know you. I care about you.
feeling the body and knowing the body, noticing any pleasant sensations or maybe even neutral sensations in the body. towards any unpleasant experiences, sensations in the body, towards any pleasant or even neutral sensations in the body. I feel you, I know you, I care for you, I appreciate you. Appreciating this body that has been through so much. This retreat has held us upright, has allowed us to walk. Caring for this body that has given us so much. Sometimes feeling is caring enough. Breathe in and breathe out. We can begin to expand our awareness to these moments when thoughts arise. You can linger in this experience of the thinking mind. Maybe you notice how you feel the mind in these moments when the attention wanders off. I feel you, mind. Feel you, plan, memory. I feel you, agitated mind. I feel you, I know you, and I care for you. Breathing that in and breathing that out.
the mind wanders off sometimes to the people and the places, the thoughts that feel skillful, supportive, thoughts of kindness and compassion, of concern, of care, of love. Feeling the mind in these moments, knowing the mind, and appreciating the mind. Such a wholesome thought. Thank you, mind. As we breathe in and breathe out, we may notice that our thoughts give rise to feelings sometimes strong and powerful feelings. And we can take a moment to linger into the emotional quality of our thoughts. If there's a fear or a sadness, not so much the content of the thought, but the feeling in the body, in the heart center. Just taking a moment to feel into the heart center of the body, you may choose to place a hand over the heart, breathe in, breathe out, whatever feels right. Just noticing some of these emotional qualities of life that have shown up over the course of the retreat. Just letting the feeling be enough. I feel you, I know you, to all of the painful things I care for you. Sweetheart, I care for you. For all of these moments of sweetness, sometimes they may few, feel like few and far between, but for these moments of preciousness, of gratitude, of appreciation, even for yourself, even towards yourself, including yourself, I feel you, I know you, I appreciate you, thank you. If you can't feel joy or experience thanking yourself for trying, I appreciate you for this, that you want joy, that you want happiness.
opening to it all, the body, the mind, the heart, feel you, I know you, I care for you, I appreciate you.